I have, uh, and, and this may be sacrilege in Oklahoma, but I have never been a great country music fan. I know, I know it's sad, isn't it? But once in a while, I hear a, a rhythm or I hear a melody or uh, words that kind of get a hold of me. And, and I do like Jeff and Sherry Easter. And, uh, and you say, who? Well, that's country gospel, okay? Uh, okay. All right, everybody do like this. All right, all right. And the other day I heard him sing this song. Now I'm not going to try to sing it, but it's got great words. I'm telling you, Terry, I was thinking nice things about you just then. Back to Jeff and Sherry Easter. I clean up pretty good on Sunday morning. I look like someone who belongs in church. But I know, both me and him, we know I'm not perfect. Yea, this old boy could use a lot of work. But ain't it good that God loves people like me? It's true I'm a little rough around the edges. I've said some things that I'd wished I could take back. And everybody said amen. I've been known to tiptoe out on the ledges, done things that I wish I hadn't. That's a fact. But ain't it good God loves people like me. Sometimes I think I'm wearing out his mercy, leaning on his grace to extreme. But ain't it good God loves people like me? Just a common everyday run-of-the-mill ordinary soul falling short of what he ought to be, a little grease on my jeans and dirt on my boots, a truckload of doubts and a boatload of blues. And when I look into the mirror, I'm just glad he sees more than I can see. Ain't it God, good? God loves people. God loves people like me. I don't know what that does for you. But I know I'm as flawed as anybody that's here. And the older I get, the more thankful I am. God loves people like me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me just mention Bible study tonight at 5 o'clock. For those, I've, I put out a note this morning on email, but I'm late. So just those of you that want to join us, you're always welcome. Besides that, I've had at least three young couples come to me about the uh, cruise. Can we go? And I said, we always need chaperones. <laughs> I'm telling you what, that group I lead, they're some of the wildest people in church. <laughs> We've got a lot of experience at being wild. We can do it right. And if you want to go on the cruise, you come talk to me and Janice. We'd love to have you. Turn with me, please, to the book of Exodus, the 40th chapter. Most of the scripture that will be on the board this morning is, is from the contemporary English version. Uh, talking 
with Megan before church, I said, I've really learned to really enjoy this, this particular translation. Don't always agree with it. Sometimes I read it and I think, no, that's too weak. And I'll go back to the King James. That's because I'm a King James, King James kind of guy. But uh, it, it, it really puts things in today's language in, in a lot of cases, and I really enjoy it. Exodus 20, uh, 40, Exodus 40, starting at verse number 22. The table for the sacred bread was put along the north wall of the holy place, after which the bread was set on the table. The lampstand was put along the south wall. Then the lamps were attached to it there in the presence of the Lord. I like that, Mark in the presence of the Lord. It did it in the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Everything we do this morning, we do in the presence of the Lord. He is here. This is his house. It's not my house. It's not your house. It's not your church. We're here in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. The gold incense altar was set up in front of the curtain and sweet smelling incense was burned on it. These things were done exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses. Recently, I, uh, I taught a group study on Wednesday evenings on uh, typology, and shadows, symbolism, and um, so that we will all come up to speed and you know what I'm talking because when I started the class, I, I asked them, you know what typology is? And there were several people, I don't have a clue. So that you'll know what typology is, C.I. Schofield of the Schofield Study Bible says, he defines it, uh, a type is a divinely purposed illustration of some truth. And the antitype or fulfillment of the type is found generally in the New Testament. Okay. The largest cluster of types is found in the wilderness tabernacle that you read about by and large in the, in the book of Exodus. And if you've never done that study, I recommend it. And if you'll come to me, I will recommend a book that's still in print. I know I'm bad about recommending books you can't get, but this one's still in print, okay? R. Wayne Jackson says, we need help to visualize the magnificent beauty, grasp the many exquisite details, and appreciate the enormous material value of the wilderness tabernacle. It has been estimated that the construction materials, now that's, it's not today, this is back then, okay, that the construction materials would approach a value of one and a quarter million dollars. Many times this amount in present day dollars, end quote. And I have seen figures online in today's dollars that value the tabernacle in the neighborhood of $10 billion. It was a magnificent tent. It was a tent church, and it was magnificent. The typology of the tabernacle primary point, primarily points to the life of Jesus, his life, his ministry, the sacrifice, but there is a secondary type that 
we are really going to focus on this morning. And the secondary type is the focus on the Christian believer and the redemptive work God does in the life of the penitent sinner. Pastor John has been calling us lately to repentance. I was in a ministerial alliance meeting several years ago when we were pastoring in Ada and there was a black brother that was part of that group and he, at the conclusion of the, of the meeting that we had, he was asked to dismiss us in prayer. And he prayed something that I have never forgotten. He prayed, Lord, forgive us of our sins of commission, our sins of omission, and our sins of disposition. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I've got many sins of commission. But there are things that I omit that I need to bring to the Lord. And there are certainly sins of disposition, of attitude. Because sometimes, don't you ask Janice about this. Don't you tell her I said this just because she's sitting back there. Don't you tell her I said this. Sometimes I got an attitude. And sometimes you got an attitude. Okay? So, Jesus, we need to come to the Lord even today. Even now, though we are Christians and believers, there are things we need to say, Lord, forgive me. Take me back to the cross. Forgive me, Lord, for the things that I have done wrong. The types of the tabernacle point toward my life and your life. As we yield to the work of the Spirit calling us to salvation and His continuing work in bringing us to Christian maturity. Let's consider together a quick overview of the tabernacle, then focus on three aspects of this marvelous structure that point to what God desires in our daily walk. And that is the name of the the message this morning, our daily walk. I'm going to step aside here just a minute. And we're going to take, do a quick overview of the tabernacle. Some of you that were in my class, this is not new to you. But right here, there it is. Right there in the, just in front of the burnt, the offering of burnt, altar of burnt offerings, there was a gate, a cloth gate. And then this is an altar that was made out of brass. When you study the typology of of the tabernacle, you will find that, that brass speaks of judgment. And right here in this spot is the place where they laid the sacrifices and it was the place of judgment of their sins. Okay? Right behind it is, okay, cooperate. Right behind it is what was called, and, and that's too little. Somebody must have run out of ink right there. 
That, that should be quite a bit bigger. That, that is called a laver, and it was made out of solid brass. And people say, what is a laver? And I, I tell them, you got one in your house. It's called a lavatory. Okay? It's a basin, a basin for water. And this particular laver, this particular basin was made of a special, very special brass because when they needed metal to melt down and to form it into this lavatory, they went to the women and they said, give us your mirrors. Now, they didn't use glass mirrors. They used highly polished brass that they looked in to see the, the grooming that they needed. This, this basin for water was made out of the, the mirrors of the women of Israel. And so after the, the priest had worked in killing animals and laying bloody sacrifices up on the altar and lighting the fire and standing around in that smoky atmosphere before they went into the holy place right here, before they went into the holy place, they went to the laver that was filled with good clean water and they looked over into that and as they gazed down into the bottom of it in the mirror brass that was there, they could see how much they needed cleaning. Cleaning. That speaks to us of the word of God, that we look into the word of God and the scripture shows us how badly we need cleaning. How badly we need repentance. How badly we need the blood of Jesus to wash us whiter than snow. Okay? Inside the holy place, and I'm not going to take but just a minute here, but inside the holy place was a lampstand, uh, uh, the, the table for showbread, and an altar of incense. And we're going we're gonna to deal with this in, in detail, in, in some detail here in, in, just, in just a couple of minutes. And then in the most holy place, you had to go through the veil. Did, did, you, did you hear in one of the songs that Henry and, and the team led this morning that the veil was torn? Did you pick up on that? The veil was torn. I was reading the other day, and I had read this before, and I, and I read it a second time. I thought I remembered correctly. The rabbis used to say that the veil was so tightly knit together that a team of oxen on each side pulling in different, different directions could not tear the veil. But when Jesus died... The hand of God reached down and tore the veil, giving us access into the very presence of God. And then there was, we probably call it one item of furniture, but actually scholars say that it was two. There, there was furnishings in, in this place that have piqued the imagination of preachers and writers and movie makers for years. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was a box, but on top of it, the second piece of furniture was a golden lid that is known as the mercy seat. And that is the place 
that when the, the tabernacle was set up and the cloud of glory came down and settled upon the, upon the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Shekinah presence of God inhabited that most holy place and he rested between the cherubim on the mercy seat. It's an exciting study. And again, I say, if you haven't done it, I, I encourage it. It is a wonderful, wonderful study. So now, and the tabernacle, let me just, it, it, it wasn't, the outer walls were 150 feet by 75 feet, and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a spectacular, spectacular construction, even though it was portable. It, it, the, the walls, you step inside the, the holy place, Actually, the most holy place, too. But you step inside the holy place, and the walls were made of wood over, overlaid with pure gold. And it was just spectacular. So, as we, as we move into our study for this morning... I call your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, where Peter says, We as believers are a holy priesthood. Hence, the daily activities in the holy place bespeak of the activities we should embrace every day in our daily walk. So for the next few minutes, I want us to talk about the oil, the Spirit's filling, the opportunity, the believer's fellowship, and the offering, worshiping faithfully. Now we're standing inside of the holy place, and I want you to realize that, that except for the lampstand that we're going to discuss here in just a second, Except for the lampstand, there was no light because the, the, the door, which was a, a, a cloth veil door, the door of the holy place completely blocked out outside light. There was only one light in the holy place, and that was the light that was symbolic of the presence of God there. Let me tell you something in our lives today, as we are believers seeking God, there is only one true light in our lives, the presence of God, the presence of God. So the oil, and let me give you some scriptures. I think they're on the, they are, they're on the, the screen. I'm not going to take time to read them because of time. But Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 and 32, and then down, on down in verse number 37. It was a lampstand. The lampstand stood against the, the, the western wall of the, of, not the western wall, but the northern wall of the, of the tabernacle in the holy place. The reason that I emphasize that it was a lampstand is because the King James Version calls it a candlestick. And it wasn't a candle. They didn't have candles like, like we have. They had oil lamps. 
And, and this was a lampstand that it was made of 75 to 90 pounds, depending on who you read, 75 to 90 pounds of pure gold, and it was not molded, it was beaten into shape. Now remember, Jesus is the primary type here. And when you talk about beating into shape, you, it, it is reminiscent of the suffering of Jesus. But it, was, it, 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 it took 75 to 90 pounds of pure gold to make this. And it stood about the height of a man. And as I read that, I thought, I don't know whether that's my height or Mixer's height. I guess it depends on depends on who you talk to but it stood about as tall as as a man and it had a central stem running up and then it had six branches two and two and two six branches running out from it and the central stem symbolized Jesus but the six branches that we see in them we see the believer attached to the stem attached to the vine look at john chapter 15 verse number 5 i am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing so even way back here a long time before Jesus ever comes, God typologically says to us, we must stay attached to Jesus. Let me tell you, Sunday morning, Sunday morning is not enough. Sunday morning is not enough. If you're going to really stay attached, if you're going to really stay plugged in, if you're going to really keep the touch of God on your life, Sunday morning is not enough. And we need to stay attached. Jesus said, abide in me, abide in me. And on the top of each of the seven stems, because you got six and one, on the top of the seven stems was a bowl filled from a sacred recipe full of olive oil that had been mixed with wonderful fragrant spices. And they filled all of these bowls and that oil is a type of, of the Holy Spirit. For in our lives, it's God's plan that we be filled with the Spirit. That we be filled with the Spirit. And in these, in these bowls that rested on top of these stems, they were full of, of, of the oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And, and they had a, a, a wick stuck down in them and it was lit and the, and the oil, it, it, it brings out light. And, and, and in that, this was the, this was the light that, that glistened off of golden walls and off of golden furniture. It flickered all over the place. And what a wonderful radiance it must have been to step into that sanctuary and see this light that is symbolic of the light of God that burns in the life of every spirit-filled believer. As God intended the lamp, read it in the scripture, God intended the lamp would never be extinguished. That was God's plan, that the lamp would never be extinguished. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark was, was and Samuel was laid down to sleep, 
that the Lord called Samuel and he answered him, here am I. Let, let, me, let me give you a picture that inside the holy place, next to the, next to the, the lamp, Apparently, there was a little mat laid down there where Samuel laid and slept every night. And it was his job was one of the most important jobs in the tabernacle because his job was if the lamps began to flicker before they went out, he got up and he refreshed them with oil, made sure that the wick was sufficient so that the lamp of God could continue to burn. It was night and day, day and night, that the 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 light of the glory of God, the light of the Holy Spirit lit this holy place, which Paul says that today we are the temple of the Lord. We are the tabernacle where the presence of God resides. In addition, Dr. M. R. DeHaan says, the lampstand also symbolized the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It spoke of our need to ingest and digest the word of God daily into our lives. You know, there's a difference in ingesting, taking in, and digesting letting it do its work in our lives. And there's a need for both of these in our daily walk, in our daily walk. Those of you that have been around me very much know that I, 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 am, a, I am adamant about our need to be in the word of God every day, every day. So two things when we're talking about the lampstand are primary here. Two things. One is our need to be continually filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18. New Living Translation says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek tense gives us not just be filled, but continue being filled. It is an ongoing thing. Continue being filled with the Holy Spirit. I need it every day. You need it every day. We need the touch of God on our lives every day. Sometimes that's one of those sins of omission that we need to repent of. Lord, help me, forgive me of not being diligent enough to let the Holy Spirit fill me every day. But we need it every day. We need to continue being filled. And, and that word filled, that, that's an interesting word. I looked it up in the dictionary a number of years ago, and it, 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 the word full, which is the root, the word full means having no empty space, containing as much as is possible. If you take just an ordinary kitchen glass and you take it to the faucet and you begin to fill it with water and when it gets close to the top, you slow it down until just before it runs over, it begins to mound at the edges. I see some heads doing this. You've, you've done that. 
I've done that. You see, that is full. No empty space. Containing as much as is possible. Now, with that same glass full, start to move. You spill it on the floor. You spill it on the cabinet. You spill it on yourself. You spill it on anybody that's close by. You see, that's what God wants. That's what God wants for us to be so full that when we move around through our lives, we're spilling it on everybody we come close to. That the touch of God is in our lives, that the Holy Spirit is working, and that everywhere you go to your job and to your school and to your homes and to your friends and to your family, everywhere you go, you're spilling the Holy Ghost of God, that people sense the touch of God in your heart and in your life. That's full, containing as much as is possible. God, fill us up until we overflow with the power of God in our hearts and in our lives. The second thing is the importance of being people of the word. Second Timothy chapter two, verse number 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's the oil. That's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's filling in our lives. Secondly, let's talk about the opportunity. I thought it interesting that Henry and the worship team sang this morning about the table. Henry, I, I know you've had those songs picked out for a long time. And I didn't know what you had chosen. But God knew what we needed. So you sang a song about the tearing of the veil. You also sang a song about coming to the table. So the, this is the opportunity, the believer's fellowship and if you want to write down a scripture, it's Acts chapter 25, verses 23 through 30. The table was about 36 inches long, and it was 18 inches wide, and it stood about 28 inches tall. It wasn't just a really big table, and it was made of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold. The wood symbolizes the human nature. The gold symbolizes the divine nature God wants to develop in us. When I was just a young man, we used to sing to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. You see, that's, that's what God is trying to do. We are human, that, that wood, we are human, that we, we have that carnal nature, but God wants to fill us up with the Holy Ghost and then to begin to develop the gold of the nature of God in our hearts and in our lives. Around the edge of the table was a golden crown or a molding 
to keep the bread from falling off. And every day was placed on the table 12 loaves of unleavened bread mingled with frankincense. Unleavened because leavening or yeast is a symbol of sin. Frankincense because it pertains to worship. Jesus said to the apostles and hence to us, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse number 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You see, the table was the place. Remember, I told you that Peter says that we're high, but we're, we're priests. We're a holy priesthood. And, and as the priests entered, it wasn't just one priest puttering around in there. There were, there were several of the Levitical priests that went in and they took care of the needs of the, the holy place and the tabernacle and they were there every day. And the table was the place where they would gather together and they would eat the bread and they would fellowship. Now, I know you think that all we staff members all we ordained members are solemn and serious all the time. Lynn, you don't have to laugh that much. <laughs> and that's ludicrous, actually. That's ludicrous. I mean, when we meet in staff meetings, we laugh and we tease and we pick on one or don't, don't we, Sam? We just tease one another and, and we just have a, a big time as we try to, to, to do the best job that we know how to do to work for the Lord and, and to help this church. We do all that we know how to do. But the same has to be true about the Levitical priesthood, that these were just guys, they were just people. And when, when they'd meet together around the table, they'd, they'd say, well, how was your night? How, how's, how's your wife doing? How's the kids? Are the kids still misbehaving? And then they'd tell dad jokes. Bad dad jokes. You know what you call an elephant crossed with a fish? swimming trunks <laughs> see I, I told you bad dad jokes it had to be like that this, this was the place of fellowship and when we come now we could talk about the table the, the table where we celebrate the Lord's Supper but that's not what I'm talking about that is very serious but when we come together like this, we, we come together around the table of God and, and we fellowship and, and we tease and we laugh and we have a good time and, and, and we commiserate with one another about what's going on and the struggles that may be taking place in our lives. And, and, and this is God's plan. Even, even the, the book of Acts talks to us about koinonia, the fellowship of the believer. We come together, we need that I need you. I've said it before. I'll probably say it again. 
I need a fix every Sunday morning. I need you. And not you may not think so, but you need me. That's a tough thought, isn't it? Oh, man. Oh, man. But you see, we, we come together and, and the, the, the priest took care of their duties, but they enjoyed fellowship and, and, and they met together and they laughed and they talked and they, they probably prayed for one another and, and they talked about tough, tough, tough things that, that they were going through just because these are God's chosen people. You're God's chosen people chosen by the blood of Jesus Christ to for forgiveness and the work of God in your heart and in your soul. You're God's chosen people. Just because they were God's chosen people didn't mean they didn't have problems. They had everyday problems. They had everyday problems. Sometimes, Bill, they ended up in a hospital. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they, they struggled with terminal health issues. Sometimes they did. But here they are, meeting together, fellowshipping together, just like we are this morning. You see, two other things before we leave this subject. I want you to notice that there was no knife on the table. There was no utensil there for cutting the bread. That culture felt like if you cut the bread, you killed the life. And so you broke the bread. I don't necessarily want to go back to it, but I loved the days that we had broken crackers for unleavened bread because they had to break them so that everybody could have some. And the body of Jesus was broken his life was broken for us. And not only that, there weren't any seats. To, now I know I got one this morning. You know why I sit down. But there were no seats for them to sit on, which reminisced of just before they left Egypt and they took that first Passover lamb and they ate it. And Moses said, now God says, you eat it with your shoes on your feet, your coat on your back, your staff in your hand. Because when he says it's time to go, be ready. Be ready. Some of these days, maybe today, maybe today, the trumpet is going to sound and the dead will be raised. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so standing at the table, and that's what they did. They stood at the table. They partook of fellowship while they're standing at the table. But they were standing ready. We need to be ready. So there was the oil and then there was the opportunity. And thirdly, there is the offering, the worship, the faithful worship 
You can turn to Exodus chapter 30, verse number 1, first part of verse number 6, and then verse number 7. And I am going to take time to read this. Build an altar of acacia wood where you can put burn incense. And this, this altar of acacia wood, again, was overlaid with pure gold. Pure gold. Put the altar in front of the inside curtain of the sacred tent. And from now on, when Aaron tends the lamp each morning and evening, at that same time, he burns sweet-smelling incense to me, speaking to God, to me on the altar. Now, I want to show you something. Every morning, they tended the lamp. They made sure it was full of oil and the wicks were trimmed and that everything was right. And at the same time, in that same period of time, they would turn to this golden altar that stood in front of the veil between them and the most holy place. They turned to this altar and the, there was fire burning on this altar and they, they put a fragrant, holy, sacred incense there. And when that incense burned, the smoke rose up. Where did it go? There were no windows. And the door was shut. And that fragrance and that smoke rose to the top of that curtain of that tent church and the fragrance of the presence of the worship of the praise of the repentance lingered there and they smelled it all day long. It's obvious that this was a place of prayer Morning and evening, the incense was burned symbolically, and actually, these people that it was it was the symbol of them reaching out to touch God. They put the incense there; it, it, it was their prayers. God, I love you. God, I worship you. God, I magnify your name. God, I thank you for all the good things in our lives. God, I thank you for my family. I thank you for our, your provision for us. God, I thank you. And that smoke rose up. And it's the smoke, the fragrance of the presence of God was there all day long. All day long. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 17, contemporary English version says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. There, there are two schools of thought in interpreting that particular verse one, one is that we should always maintain an attitude of prayer. 
The other one is that we should find a place of solitary prayer every day. I think they're both right. I think you need to I think you need to go about in a in a spirit of prayer. If something comes up and you need to pray, pray. Have that spirit of prayer in your heart and in your life. But then also find a place. There's an old chorus that I just love. We just we never sing it anymore, haven't sung it very much for years, but it says, shut in with God in a secret place. There in the spirit, beholding his face, gaining new power to run in the race. I love to be shut in with God. I love to be shut in with God. You see, if we do these things, even as the fragrance of the incense lingered, the sweet fragrance of the presence of God will always be with us. Henry.
before we invite you to come into the altar and find somebody to pray with or just come and kneel at the altar, it, it, that's, that's okay. But it's important today as ever that we stay attached or abide in the vine. It's critically important that we stay attached to the vine. second thing is that some are tempted to stay home and get their dose of Christianity from the television or online and I know that there are times when it's appropriate for that. I know there are. We have people this morning that are watching online that can't be here. They wish they could be here like you are but they can't be here. But if you can be here, you should be here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. He's coming back. And we know, we look at the signs of the times, he's coming soon. Come be part of us. We need you, you need us. Come be a part of this. The third thing is, that prayer lingering in the presence of God should be an intentional and regular part of our relationship with the Lord. Let me close with this thought and then I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna give you a chance to come to the altar. Scripture tells us of the sons of Levi, the high priest, and the sons of Samuel, the succeeding high priest. And it, it tells us that their sons became careless with their relationship with God. It cost them their lives. It cost them their lives. I am persuaded that part of the problem was they became so callous because all they had ever known was church. All they had ever known was dad in the priesthood. That's all they had ever known and said, nah, it's not that big a deal. You know, we come to church, it, we're here every day. We're here every day. I, I pray for the, the children, Henry and Dave and John's, and the other children connected to our staff members because 
you're here, but listen, they run the halls because this is their playground because mom and daddy are always here, always here. And I pray, God, let them get established. This, we cannot take our relationship with God for granted, but we must say, God, let it be fresh. Let our daily walk with you be fresh every day. Let there be fresh oil. Let there be sweet, fresh oil every day. Let there be the fragrance of the incense lingering in our, in our hearts and our souls every day. But that doesn't just apply to the children of staff members or to staff members. It applies to every one of us. Some of you have been Christians for many, many, many years. Let me tell you something, it's never ordinary. Living for God is never ordinary. Don't let it become so. In a congregation of this size, I don't know what your needs are, but there are people, there are a lot of people here with needs and you need prayer. Come on. I'm gonna step down here and stand with Janice and I'm gonna be here to pray with some of you, but there's a lot of people here that wanna join. Come on, step right out, make that move. What is it about your everyday walk? Your everyday walk that you need fresh oil. You need, you need to smell the smoke of the incense. You need to sense the richness of the presence of God in your life and in your heart, come on. Come on. And if you don't want somebody to pray with you, come and find a place to kneel. Come and find a place. Don't let it be ordinary, but let the power of God do a fresh work in your life this morning. God bless you. I love you.